Hello, welcome to Wild and Theology. My name is Will and my co-host Kaylee. Hey. <laughs> um, today, we are going to be talking about her uh, integration of a trip that happened a while ago. Before we get into that, though, I uh, just wanted to let you know that our social medias on Twitter and Instagram is at Wild and Theology. So if you want to support us, if you want to follow us, give us a follow. Also, <laughs> we are accepting people on our podcast for uh, their trip reports. If you have something that you feel you learned that was very valuable for you and you want to talk about on the podcast, please, again, follow us on social media, DM us, and we will have you on you know um yeah or anything else psychedelic related like we're really open to sure. collaborations if you're yeah. also starting some kind of project and you're you know interested in sharing platforms it'd be we're yeah we're always open to that absolutely mm -hmm. so without further ado here's the podcast Yee! okay hello everybody how are you how are you will i'm good i'm are good yeah, yeah i'm prepared for this podcast it's gonna be exciting i'm glad to hear that honestly I was thinking about it and you've been doing all of the heavy lifting in terms of being vulnerable in the past couple of podcasts. Damn right you've been really <laughs> going for it and I've really admired you for that, but I've Thank kind you. of just been sitting comfy over here yeah, yeah. just being like, yeah, yeah, yeah you're fucked. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate no, that. No, but like, honestly, um, so now it's your turn to just sit back and relax. Yeah. And I'm looking I'll, forward to it. I'll be the one. Yeah. It's my turn to say you're fucking. <laughs> I am. And that's what this podcast is about, guys. It's yeah. about why I'm fucked up. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Not really. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so today I'm going to be talking about a mushroom trip that I did last February, right before COVID lockdown, basically. It was February 26th. Yeah. So um, basically... The trip was. The trip was. The, yeah. tri the trip was on February 26th. Mm. Yes. I remember the days. Of significant events in my life. Mm -hmm. um, when did COVID lockdown happen? March. I don't know. It was different. <laughs> if it, it was different for different people, right? Because like, yeah, like, yeah, true, like true. jobs started. Um, it was like it was March seventeenth. Yeah, I remember people. March eighth because that's the day my uh, one of my professors said like, "Oh, we're probably going to be locking down if it happens. We don't know if we're going to be able to finish this semester." And I was yeah. like, Ooh. "It's almost over, dude. Like what?" Yeah, but we did. Yeah, it was like okay, two weeks out of school. Turned into, never mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just stay home and don't leave. But yeah, so this was right before that. And it was a very significant trip that I see as um, a catalyst for a lot of major changes in my life mm -hmm. in the past year and a half. Um, but these changes have occurred gradually over the last year and a half. And only recently, only recently I've been understanding like just how far reaching those effects were mm -hmm. and how they're still changing my life to this day and how some of the most more recent changes in the past few months have been a result of or connected to some of the lessons I got from this trip that happened a year and a half ago. So it was very significant and yeah, there's gonna be a lot of background, gonna be a lot of background for this, um, but we're just gonna get into that. <laughs> yeah, you've got to set it up to see like who you who, like. That's really yeah. what we want for the guests too. Is like who were you yeah. going into this trip? Like what was your kind of background and like why was this trip so significant for you? Exactly. Right. So 
give us this background. What happened? Okay, so basically, um, <laughs> this is the part where I'm like, okay, no. <laughs> we powered through that intro really great. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now it's um, like, okay, <laughs> be vulnerable. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, <laughs> you got this, I believe in you. <laughs> so something I haven't really discussed in depth on this podcast is my struggle with eating disorders. This is kind of... Um, it's, it's something that it's really difficult for me to talk about, mm-hmm. but I owe a lot of my progress, meaning like my understanding and my communication about like, I owe a lot of this progress to my experiences with mushrooms. They've mm-hmm. really helped me. And for that reason, I think it's really important to talk about, especially on this podcast where we're talking about our growth as a person and how mushrooms and other psychedelics have helped with that process. So as uncomfortable as it makes me, we're going to talk about it mm-hmm. um, because it's really significant for this trip too. So yeah, so I've done a lot of journaling and reflection and work to understand the origin of these issues. And for the sake of the length of the podcast and for <laughs> you know everything, spare my, our listeners every detail of my life, we're just going to give like kind of, I'm going to give like the main kind of ideas behind how this issue developed mm-hmm. because it's significant. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's an eating disorder. Like <laughs> it's that's huge. A, it's a very significant thing. It's to huge. Be, it's yeah. been an absolute black hole sucking oh my God. a huge chunk of my life, energy, attention, and everything into yeah. for years. And I mean, like how much... <laughs> I'm not going to downplay it here. For like, sure. Like how much on a daily basis... Like, you don't have to give, like, exact numbers, of course, but, like, on a daily basis, it's just, like, how much time are you spending worrying about an eating disorder when you could be focusing on even doing those things that would help you recover from that eating disorder? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's just, like, or doing the things that you love to do or or doing this or that and the other thing. It's, like, it's it's an obsessive thing. Oh, for sure. And, like, going not maybe, like, not unchecked for years, but, like... It wasn't until if these things started manifesting as problems in middle high school and I didn't start like doing the work genuinely until I discovered mushrooms. Wow. Yeah. Like that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. Mm -hmm. You might get into this too, but, um, I feel like before the mushrooms, it, it's that kind of like that paradigm lock thing where you can be doing all this horizontal self-development, mm-hmm. like going to the gym or, or watching your diet and stuff like this, but it's all kind of feeding into this eating disorder. Yeah. It's not like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to the gym to be healthy. No, I'm going to the gym to just like feed into this disordered no, thinking. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it was all like disguised as this healthy thing yeah. like most people would look at that and say like oh you're just really dedicated to the gym you're really dedicated to your diet but it was it was all fucked okay it was in a word in a word yeah in a word yeah um but yeah so i kind of what i've come to understand about the origin of my eating disorder were basically internalizations like three main things that i internalized from a young age that kind of set me off on this path yeah. <laughs> and um well number 1 was the the value of romantic love and the pursuit of achieving or securing a mate. Mm. 
And the goal of just getting as much affection and admiration from men as possible. And this being like, yeah, like I said, a value, like the highest value. Like yeah. this is my purpose okay. as a woman. And that's your first internalized truth. Yeah. Yeah. Know? That's like, that's a, the first kind of thing that I can trace back to, like just even watching like Disney princess movies. Like yeah. it's like the message is there so often, so clear mm. in all of these things that we like are exposed to from a young age. So there's that. And then um, very closely connected to that is kind of like achieving this attention, affection, and love is kind of contingent on your physical beauty and attractiveness as a woman. Hmm. You see? Yeah. So it's, it's not only being it's not only like getting romance let's say mm -hmm. for simplicity's sake it's it that's the highest thing to achieve but then the method to get that is by being the perfect woman yes yeah exactly so they're directly connected like oh i want that and then i made the association that getting that was contingent on how attractive i was physically physically okay physically yeah you know because okay. once again a lot of female characters we see in these movies they're not exactly like in-depth um you know complex individuals intellectuals yeah. that like oh they're just loved for their mind and their humor and all these things like for sure no it's like oh the most beautiful the fairest of them all you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay yeah for sure like my brain associate like we got the message loud and clear and then like obviously like the standards of beauty being the uh, for women being the third internalization is that smaller is better very simple that mm. was the simple message that my brain got and smaller is better yeah yeah okay and um yeah so yeah all of that was all those associations had been made in my brain that's kind of how i saw myself mm. that's how i saw women that's how i saw like where my value was was in my physicality and this value and goal of achieving male affection mm -hmm. or like they're in there deep. And then on top of that, witnessing degrees of infidelity through my life, through my young life, and assimilating that into these schemas of love, romance, relationships. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that very weird language to use i don't know but um I mean, it makes sense it and, does and, it does and just for for the audience a schema is basically like <laughs> a, an unconscious map yeah, yeah yeah it's basically like your idea of a thing so like love romance relationships if i thought it was like this beautiful thing this mm. eternal union this love and commitment all of a sudden being exposed to yeah like i said degrees of infidelity it was kind of it shattered this this beautiful image of of that and you know like that's a part of growing up and ex being exposed to the world but i mean it, it, it was like it was traumatizing like that that's an example of trauma where you're like your your development is stunted at this point because yeah. you didn't understand it enough and you weren't able to like assimilate healthily yeah. like you know i could have been like okay these things happen and they're for varying complex reasons of where these people are at. Mm -hmm. But it was internalized in a very toxic way. Well, it's like if you talk about having like a Disney model for how relationships should be, it's always like happily ever after. Yeah. And then to have like so clear an example of it not being happily ever after. 
and then you add in this association of like your physical appearance being contingent on that love and then yeah. seeing like oh if i if i get if i want my happily ever after i need to work so hard on my physical appearance mm -hmm. to make sure that it's always on point yeah exactly because yeah you're so right um yeah exactly because this was then on top of all of those things that i had already i've already mentioned this was now i was now internalizing this as like all of these things that I value myself for and all these things that I am, I think I need to achieve. It's like so hard now, like it, it or it's almost impossible to get that kind the amount of love and affection I thought I needed yeah. to be okay. And to feel like I was worthy. Yeah. And like you said, yeah, it was all fixated on a very super, the very superficial level of physical appearance. So, mm. and you know, as a, as a child where you're very egocentric, you're mm -hmm. going to assume that everything that happens in reality, like at, at the age of four, you, you even assume the sun moves because the sun is following me. Mm -hmm. Right. And so to have like whatever age this happened at, to be still very egocentric as a child, to mm -hmm. have it happen. And you're thinking, oh, this happened because of me. And then all my relationships in the future, however they happen, are going to happen because of me. Yeah. You know, exactly. Well, yeah, these, these events, this was all like, obviously like the, these internalizations happened over the course of my youth. And then these events were kind of over the course of elementary school. So mm. by the time I started dating, which was obviously a huge, a thing I placed a lot of importance on, right. a lot of my attention on, like that's kind of where I was coming from. Mm. That's where I saw my my value as a woman was like, okay, okay, like how, how satisfied is my romantic partner? How? Yeah. So when <laughs> yes, you, please. when you like were, like you said, this was when like around high school, right? Around the beginning of high school, would you say? Which part? This, this, that uh, you're talking about how you started being focused on relationships. Oh yeah. I mean, I guess, um, what, like what, what age were you when like you had set an age when this started? I, I forget what it was. Like, um, like relationships. Yeah. Like, uh, I'd say 12, 13. So okay. like grade eight through high school. Okay. We're like relationship time. And so around that time, like you, you said that you started focusing so much on like being the good partner and like really showing up like very well in your relationships. Yes. Right. Yes. And obviously like that's very motivated by the kind of mytho the mythology that we get from like the disney movie mm -hmm. thing you know and it's just mm -hmm. like our society in general it's like a woman is defined by mm -hmm. her her relationships yes um so yeah it was kind of like you're i mean you're entering puberty at this time so like mm -hmm. you're becoming more of a sexual being also mm -hmm. and then you want to like fulfill these these cultural myths that you've been given by disney mm -hmm. and so once mm -hmm. you were kind of able to start dating like old enough for that kind of type of thinking to happen mm -hmm. it's like you immediately just needed to be in a relationship and needed to like prove your worth by being the good girlfriend yes yeah 100 percent. and it's actually interesting that you mentioned puberty because i see that as a significant part of obviously my development right but like physically i i feel like i hit puberty quite young before a lot of the girls so oh, okay. it was like i see this as like a really important part of the development of my eating disorder actually because yeah. because of that internalization that smaller is better and i saw myself as larger than everyone oh it was yeah. like that stuck in my brain is like i am too big and i forever 
have thought that. I don't know yeah. if there's ever been a day since like puberty that I've like haven't been insecure in my body. Well, yeah. I mean, there have been days. I, I feel like, no, that's, that's a lie. I've definitely like gotten better and I see my, I, I, I am not like, I don't know. It's so weird because like, <laughs> yeah, well, it's I feel, like, go it, ahead, go it ahead. was like the beginning of like body dysmorphia Yeah, because I have always only worn like clothing sizes, small, extra small, like yeah. exclusively. And at the same time, I've never thought I was small enough. I've always felt too large throughout the course yeah. of my eating disorder, which is like, it's so fucked. I don't yeah. know. Well, when you say that you started getting larger than everybody, every other yeah, girl. Yeah, like hips, boobs. Heights. Height, thighs. Uh, like everything. Just everything. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and, and so that, that's like, I was going to say it's so funny, but it's not funny. But it's like, it's it's so interesting i guess or, or mm -hmm. in in a really dark way obviously where it's like you are a small woman mm -hmm. like you like you're what like five four five five yeah something, something like, like that. that and so you're, you're I, I mean I, I think that's like just short of average for a woman yeah. like i think five seven is average for a woman so it's okay. like you're on the shorter end of average mm -hmm. you're a small woman and yet just this experience that you had as a child of being larger than the other girls mm -hmm, mm -hmm. has extended far past the point where you're no longer that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it was like that, that perception of my body, like my body image in relation to other women. It's like, it's still stuck there. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm like smaller than a lot of people I know, you mm -hmm. know, but it's like, it's stuck. Because that, that everything was like forming at that time, all those like ideas of what I should be as a woman, what I want to be, what are the ideals, et cetera. And like, yeah, comparing self in relation to others, seeing self as a a developing sex object. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was, that was the conclusion that was come to. And like, this wasn't all on my own either. Like, you know, people make comments about your body. Kids say things and yeah. it's weird. Like I can remember exact instances of people pointing out parts of my body. Yeah. And I was like, it's, it's, it's just, it sticks with you. For sure. Well, I remember this, uh, this girl I dated, I, I want to say she had like double G or double E mm -hmm. breast size mm -hmm. and uh, she was like a small girl, but her, she started developing very early as well. And you know, boys being, you know, grade seven, grade eight boys mm -hmm. would comment on it. Right. And she became very, very ashamed of her breast size to the mm -hmm. point where she would like wear two sports bras mm -hmm. just to keep them looking small. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking that like, it, it's so again, just interesting in a dark way that we hear all of these messages in our culture about like the bigger, the boob, the better. Right. Mm -hmm. But then you have an example of a woman who's like fits that archetype. Mm -hmm. And yet she's so ashamed by it and yeah. so like dark. So it's not like, oh, you have big boobs. So it's a good thing. Or like the, the, the black guy thing. Oh, you have a big dick because you're black. So that's mm -hmm. a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, no, it could be a very huge point of shame. It's like, it's For very sure. low nuance to just be like, there's this cultural myth and you fit that cultural myth. Therefore, yeah. everything is fine for you. It's like, yeah. not necessarily. And especially for people who don't fit that cultural myth. Yeah, you know? for sure. And it's interesting because like, I don't have large breasts. Like, I mean, they just developed really early. Like, I'm talking here, like, grade five, six. So yeah. that's, like, it was significant to even have, like, a B <laughs> or a C cup at that time. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. they stayed there. But, um, <laughs> uh, but then, like, but at that time, like, yeah. it, it, it was... And if we're talking about shame around your body during puberty, 
going to school as a girl and being developing and like wearing clothes mm. that just look good. They just look good. I mean, I've always had a sense for style, I guess. Yeah. And back then I would wear, even if I was wearing like a tight shirt, that was like a V-neck or something. I was routinely talked to by teachers telling me that mm. I was dressed inappropriately and that I had to change. And this, like if any of my fucking elementary school teachers are listening to this, I blame <laughs> you partially. Like you're a factor in this mess that I am in today. Yeah. Um, but that's, that was like internalizing shame about my body. Sure. And like I was already so uncomfortable in my developing yeah. body and then teachers making comments like that to you saying like you need to cover up you're you look inappropriate that was so embarrassing it was humiliating yeah. and i was like especially because uh, you're trying to fit this model of what you think you have to be and yeah. then to be told to be ashamed of that yeah, also it's just like exactly oh my gosh such a mess yeah, yeah. so that was that was puberty <laughs> that, that laugh i'm just like yeah huh. it's oh, all good man. it's all yeah. good it's like <laughs> it comes back to what we were saying how many times already that like it teachers i saw a post on instagram by someone i know who works in education saying people expecting teachers to be able to deal with trauma aren't thinking properly because teachers are not qualified to deal with trauma. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. The mm -hmm. teacher themselves just saying, oh, you're dressed inappropriately could give a lot of trauma, mm -hmm. you know, case in point. It's like, yeah. they need to be able to deal with this kind of stuff and see how their comments can have very long lasting effects. 100%. That's yeah. so true. Yeah. So getting into the relationships I was in, like my first, I hesitate to say real boyfriend, but my first relationship was like <laughs> yeah. of a significant length was in grade eight. And then I had one in grade nine and grade 11 and grade 12, you know, like, and they were all like long-term kind of, well, I mean, you know, like year, year relationships. Yeah. So I spent most of my time in relationships. And, um, so a lot of my attention and my energy and my efforts, like it all went into my relationships basically like because i've learned to value myself for this thing and saw it as the highest goal naturally like i'm always yeah. going to be thinking like oh how can i be like better how can i look better for this guy how can i make him happier and like always fearing like my position it was always in such a precarious place because i mm. also internalized that it wasn't something that i could realistically achieve like long-term commitment and and validation like I, I didn't even see that as a I was always worried about that. I, I didn't think it was like possible. Yeah. But I was stuck in this this anxious cycle of like chasing after that. Mm -hmm. My need for this, my like desperate need for this thing, which was coming from such a like a foundationally flawed place, was also because I was so desperate to achieve it too. Obviously, like the people I would choose, like the men I would choose weren't like, emotionally healthy people either you know it was like i wanted someone who was like not desired by everyone i guess so i'd like ha increase my chances of being like oh. good for them to do you know like i wanted to be the one who was like the the prize you know like yeah. they were doing well for having me as their girlfriend what okay so because so like you know so if, if if a guy gets a girl out of his league yeah it's like oh less chances of him like cheating or straying because right. okay. he's like oh my god i love her like i'm so lucky to have gotten her right so well, it was like 
a security thing. It was a security thing for yeah. sure. Because if I went for like some like guy who had a lot of options and stuff, like that would decrease my chances. I would see mm. as like, oh, if he could have other girls, why would he want me? Yeah, you know. So it's you're you're not only feeling like undeserving of someone better, mm -hmm. but your choosing of men is also coming from a place of fear. Like I need to choose, or I guess boys really. Yeah, I need to boys. choose boys that were. Uh, <laughs> how do I put this in a way that's not like mean, but like boys who were, were less sought after mm -hmm. because like at any moment I could lose them. Yeah. And it's just all this, like this, this worthlessness and fearlessness yeah. or fear, fearful. Fearfulness. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And made for some very toxic, very emotionally abusive relationships. Yeah. And, um, yeah. But what's really significant about this time, I'm sure, you know, we could, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack with the actual relationship dynamics, but in this context or with what we're getting to about this trip that I had and where I'm at today is there was this, there was this effect over time of me isolating myself from other women. Mm -hmm. And that came from, well, essentially putting all of my energy and, and emotional investment into my romantic partners yeah, and pretty much not valuing at all my, my female friendships, you know, not confiding in them, not having this emotional connection, not having these deeper connections. Did you view them as competitors? Sometimes. Yeah. For sure. Maybe, yeah, to a degree. Obviously, I, yeah, I, I saw every woman as like a competition yeah. to some degree, but like, I think that was limited to ones that I thought fit the mold better than I did. Yeah. You know, okay. so not every single one. Yeah. Um, but I had female friends and I was lucky, but I mean, I look back from my childhood and I don't have any of those friends anymore. Like eventually even the long-term friends, like we either, either from straying apart and losing contact or from actual falling outs. Mm. I don't have friends from my youth besides like, other people that I stayed in contact with because of, you know, we were connected in other ways, you know, but even, even those relationships didn't get the amount of investment that would have made them significant relationships in my life. You know, yeah, yeah. I have a lot of superficial female relationships, but nothing deep and lasting and meaningful. Mm. And it was very isolating and that's, it's very significant in my development. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember reading, uh, I can't remember if this was for a class, but I remember reading that one of the major factors when looking at a, the likelihood that a, a teenage girl develops an eating disorder is the richness of her social support. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah. You can put a picture of me in that textbook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's so important to just like have people you can turn to that you can trust and they're there for you and just like to have fun with. And yeah. if for nothing else than to distract you from all of these thoughts. Yeah. And just to like value yourself for something more than how yeah. you physically look and just see yourself in relationship to for other sure. women. And like, you know, like the fun you have with your friends, it has nothing to do with, I don't know, like, you know, your friends aren't looking at you right? and like judging you based on that, you know, like, there are so many things. And, um, that's a huge reason I didn't invest in those female relationships because I wasn't getting that kind of validation from them. Yeah. And that's like what I was so after. 
it's what you needed, but you've been indoctrinated into this idea that like all your worth was to be found in how you showed up in your relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So another major negative effect next to isolation from female relationships was a lack of identity Mm. because I had put so much value on myself as a physical being and only developing that side of myself. I didn't develop any other part of my personality. I had no value system beyond thinking about myself in relationship to a romantic partner. Right. So I only saw myself and my worth as like, how pretty can I dress? How pretty can I look? How hot can my body be? How pleasing can I be sexually? You know? Yeah. So like I spent all my time developing those sides of myself and thinking about that and, you know, developing, developing this eating disorder that was like consuming my mind. <laughs> and that left no room for like, reading books like what am I interested in what ideas do I have and also in these relationships that I was having like it was this was so extreme that I I really like filtered out most of myself because I was constantly like watching and trying to play up the parts of myself that I I was sure they would enjoy and like and you know anything else about me yeah. That I wasn't really sure would like be, would get that validation. I would just leave it out completely. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk about the music that I like, which I've already talked about as like a major part of my life and mm-hmm. has historically been something I've hidden. I wouldn't talk about that. I wouldn't like suggest movies. I wouldn't do anything. Like I would just basically filter out all parts of myself that weren't, that weren't sure to be desired by yeah. men and just like, played up what I thought they would like. So it's like any time that you weren't thinking, like any time that you weren't developing your personality around how to be more attractive, Mm -hmm. you were doing stuff that you felt you needed to hide. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like cutting down the time, let's say like 20% of your life is stuff that's for you. And that's 20% of the stuff that's for you. And it is, you need to be ashamed of it and keep it hidden. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I just like, didn't share myself. Yeah. I, I didn't know who I was. I didn't have an identity. <laughs> and obviously that, that feeds into like a lack of connection with women too, because yeah. women, if, oh, if I can't appeal to them in a sexual way because I'm heterosexual and they're heterosexual, then like, then I have to be something else, but I'm nothing else. So I don't know what to talk to women about. I don't know how to connect with women. I don't know how to laugh and make jokes and share myself. Yeah. And... <laughs> It's really sad, actually. You know, when I think about it, I'm like, it's sad that I spent so much of my young life like that. Mm -hmm. And basically, so yeah, those two things, isolation from women and a lack of identity, that's kind of where I was at. And after, after I got out of my last high school relationship, it wasn't long until I found a new relationship (laughs) because that's just how I'm, how I was orienting Mm -hmm. myself to find Um, and it was like my most recent relationship was the healthiest by far. Mm -hmm. And I worked through a lot of these, these things, even though it started, it started as, it started with the same kinds of patterns of, of me being very insecure and 
needing a lot of validation and still still playing up like the physical sides of myself, I, I was able to get to a place where I felt like I was more of a person in this relationship. I was a full person yeah. in this relationship and I was loved far beyond my physicality. It was a beautiful relationship and I learned yeah. a lot and there was a lot of development there, but... Well, I was just going to say like he... Because it was like your first very emotionally healthy relationship, he created a an environment in which you could start viewing yourself as more than just physical. Yeah. You know, because you knew that he loved you for more than just the physical. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And that is a lesson that I cherish today. Yeah. <laughs> very deeply. Um, but I'm sorry. I'm so sad now. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. Be sad. Like, this is what people want to hear. You know, this is very sad stuff. And it's like an eating disorder doesn't come from a place of, of happiness. It comes from a place of deep sadness and stuff. Like you're very sad right now. It's like, there's a reason for it, you know? Yeah. And just like thinking about Sean too. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Shout out to Sean for being a good, healthy relationship. Yeah. Shout out to Sean. For a lot of, a lot of reasons. But the foundation was flawed because yeah. my foundation was flawed and I was still operating with a lot of those unhealthy values and beliefs about myself. And ultimately along all of, through all of these years too, like this eating disorder was evolving to the point where it was like this, its own demon in itself. And it wasn't even, there was no like clear connection to how it started anymore. Cause it was just like yeah. this, it's this own thing on its own. And it was a habit, an addiction. It was yeah. formed and it wasn't easily budging. Well, it's the same thing with porn addiction is that like yeah. eventually becomes a self-reinforcing cycle where it doesn't mm -hmm. matter what kind of trauma you may have had in the past. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that you're, I mean, how much shame do you have just about the fact that you have an eating disorder? Yeah. So and then much. that is feeding the, the eating disorder. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. And like, I don't know. It's kind of like, I kind of see it too as like, and I think it's like a lot of people with drugs too, or, and maybe porn, like you think things are okay at first. You're like, oh, I can do this once and I'll be fine. Hmm. And then all of a sudden you, right. you can't not even, like I, I can remember like the very first times I made myself throw up and I was like, this is stupid. Like, why am I doing this? Like, I, I don't have a problem though. Yeah. Yeah. Until I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. And then I do it. And then you can't stop and you feel completely out of control. You know, yeah. it's like, it sneaks up on you. It it's, does. It's, it does. And you think that you're like immune to it somehow. You think like, oh, I have a control over my life. Yeah. It's not. It's fine. I'm fine. Yeah. I mean, the first step of AA is accepting the fact that you no longer have control. Yeah. You know, because yeah. it's it's so, so deep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. But another thing, another part, another significant kind of part of this whole issue was that even when I even when I was able to admit it to myself that this is a problem mm -hmm. in my head, I acknowledged like, okay, this is an issue. I was 100% committed to doing it alone. Like there was just like no <laughs> question in my mind. Yeah. I was like, I'm never telling anybody this. I'm never telling my parents. I'm never telling my family, I'm never telling my friends. I'm never telling my boyfriends. I'm never telling anybody like mm -hmm. I am going to fix this, but I'll do it completely in silence, you know? And that was, that was not even exclusive to this. Like 
I, I didn't emotionally connect to anybody. I didn't talk about my emotions. Mm. I never cried in front of my family even. My yeah. family is like so affectionate and open and supportive and loving. And like, I was just like, no, I won't. Yeah. I can't cry in front of them. Like, I can't talk to them about this. I don't know like why. I just, I was just shut down on that level. It just takes a single message as a child to like ingrain a habit like this. Yeah. And then it's just like, it's the foundation every top everything atop that foundation is fucked yeah you know exactly so obviously that started to change <laughs> fuck sex i'm here talking about it on a podcast yeah, now, yeah so exactly like, look at me go this is progress but it's it amazing. is but i mean yeah slower i did i did open up to like yeah like my recent um long-term relationship partner like he knew i was struggling with this to varying degrees across the course of our relationship but um yeah, like I said, I was I was flawed and I was still under this impression that like my position in this healthy relationship was precarious and that if I were if I wanted to keep it, I would have to like work really hard mm-hmm. to continue to be attractive. Yeah. And um yeah, got really into the gym and got really into having a particular diet. Mhm. And yeah, it absolutely consumed my life. Once again, such a like huge lack of identity. Like, who was I? I spent all my time. I would wake up in the morning anxious because mm. I'm like, I have to start. I have to do something right now. <laughs> um, I was thinking about food all the time. I was thinking about like counting calories, what I was going to eat, fearing situations where I would have wouldn't have control over what was available, and it just and then thinking like, okay. When am I going to go to the gym? How am I going to like burn these calories off? I saw my food intake and physical output like very closely tied. Like they had to be matching or the physical activity had to be more mm-hmm. in some way, you know, like just obsessive, just constant, constant anxiety, constant frustration and just like anger projecting onto everything. And Mind you, oh, another very significant part of this. Now I'm in Montreal and I don't have any of the support, the the little support that I was asking for, but just had Mm -hmm. like family, just knowing that there was support there at arm's reach. If I were to ask out, reach out, like I didn't have it anymore. Like my family wasn't there. The groups I was a part of in Regina weren't there. Like even the superficial female relationships that were always there that I could have reached out and developed they weren't there. I had nothing besides my partner and his two best friends who I now have deep <laughs> personal relationships with, yeah. Will being one of them. Um, but yeah, I, I, and I had made one female friend in Montreal. But like, like I said, lack of being able to reach out, lack of being able to be open and vulnerable emotionally, like left that relationship not a comfortable place to reach out to either you know so i was just like it was again just more superficiality yeah exactly even though that too is one of the most the deepest relationships i have right now too with hashmita um but i was in like a very very dark spot in Mm. the summer right before i did mushrooms for the first time Ah! thank god (laughs) thank fucking god i don't know what i would have done mushrooms thank you thank you but um at that time too, I, I wasn't even like expecting it. Yeah. Like to change my life. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't. You were like, expecting to have fun at Oshiaga. Yeah. I was going to a music festival. I was like, oh, we're going to do some mushrooms and it's going to be great. 
and it's gonna be fine but like up until that point like yeah everything that summer was brutal <laughs> it was brutal all i did was go to the gym mm -hmm. and think about eating and if like i don't know i like i said i don't know how much detail i'm gonna put in the actual podcast but just for conversation's sake it was just like everything and if anything went over something that i was like that's not okay i would have to purge like i would have to or yeah. else i couldn't go on with my day like the anxiety was way too much and it was just horrible and like literally up until the morning of mushrooms i was hurting myself like yeah. self-destructing and yeah and then basically mushrooms the first mushroom trip was so significant because like that was the only thing that broke the cycle like yeah we don't how many times how often do we have like opportunity that really like shakes us and our perspective up you know and in such a positive and beautiful way mm -hmm. and it it was really significant because finally this was the first time i really saw myself for more than my physicality mm -hmm. it was amazing it was like i i remember dancing I remember dancing, listening to Tame Impala, and it was actually really significant because mm. um, listening to Tame Impala and being on mushrooms, I was thinking about myself back in high school and how I would listen to that very album in my room when I was like depressed and alone and like isolated and going through all this weird self-esteem, eating disorder, body image toxic relationship shit like that was where i was at at that time and i was like the music just like brought me back to that and i saw myself and i loved myself and i had all this compassion for who i was at that time and i felt connected to that younger me yeah and i saw myself as so much more than that than my body it seemed so like insignificant i was like i'm an amazing person i yeah. am like connected to all these things and i'm I love my life and I love who I am. And it was, it was so amazing to see myself as more than that, you know, mm -hmm. more than these superficial things. Well, I mean, from my perspective as somebody who just like knew you as my friend's girlfriend, mm -hmm. when we first met, I was really struck by just like how cool you were. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, mm -hmm. this person's fucking s sweet. Like, mm -hmm. I, I love this person. And like, mm -hmm. the more I got to know you, the more I'm just like, the fact that Sean met this girl of all the girls he could have met mm -hmm. is amazing. Mm -hmm. You just fit in so well with us. And I was just like, this girl's cool as fuck. Mm -hmm. You know? I appreciate that you thought yeah. that. It's funny because you're also a man. So <laughs> 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 it wasn't even limited to relationships. Like yeah, any yeah. male, I was like, I'm going to put on my best. I was kind of thinking that too. My yeah. best, you know? Mm. So it's like, I don't know. Like It's a double-edged sword. It yeah. is. It and is. like, and I mean, but you're right. No, like, and yeah. But no, I, I think like... <laughs> but I'm still cool. That, that's the thing. Like we could say like, okay, it's a double-edged sword where like you you put on this front. Of course, you're putting on this front. You're going to be cool to all men. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Of course, I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, this girl's so cool because she's doing everything I want I'm her to do. I'm appealing to everything that male, men... Exactly. I've learned that males like. But it's like <laughs> the more I've gotten to know you, the more the deeper that I've got to know you, you've like started venturing off on your own and like really developing your personality. Mm -hmm. And you'll get into that, of course. Yes. But it just more and more that I'm like, this is the person that I want to like start a podcast with, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I love that. And I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Thank you for You're liking welcome. me. 
<laughs> Thank you for liking me too. I <laughs> appreciate welcome, it too. You're um, yeah, but and this is a big but. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what do we say about mushroom trips? You gotta do the work after. Yeah, gotta integrate. And you know what I did? I was so. I was so happy and I swear to God, like this, these first, this like weekend of mushrooms and how much it like inspired me and made me happy. I felt so free, yeah. I so free from the prison that was my shitty eating disorder mind. I was like, I'm free. Fuck. I'm amazing. This is so good. I can like, yeah. and I felt like I had all this available energy that could go to like whatever I wanted. Like the world opened up with possibilities. Cause I'm like, wow, now that I'm not being sucked in by this black hole constantly, I'm like, what could I do? I could do anything with all this energy. Like, yeah. like I can develop all these parts of myself now that I was learning to value myself for more. And I think for like two weeks I spent like so much time just journaling. There was so much stimulation. I was just like pouring out of like all this, all this stuff that had been repressed, you know, and it was, it was amazing and it was beautiful, but I, I didn't know how to change. Like I didn't actually know how to change. It was all beautiful. It was all a beautiful idea. It was so much inspiration, but like what was actually different about my life? What was yeah. I actually doing differently? And as soon as the semester started, I was isolated again and I didn't know, like I still didn't have a place to go. I still didn't have people to connect to about these things mm -hmm. like and i mean i did have people I, and like i don't want to like you know i i feel like i need to give credit to the people who were around like you and chris and sean and hashmita like but it, it, it wasn't that there weren't people there is that i didn't know how to communicate and i didn't know how to reach out and i didn't know how to connect yeah and it's, these are still like, these are still things that I'm struggling with. Like, I, I always, I, I still don't always know the best ways to communicate or the best ways to connect to people. But at that time, I like had no, I had nothing. I had no skills in that area, and and especially going to school, like, I not easy to like talk to people, mm -hmm. and I would just spend my entire days sometimes without talking to anybody yeah like i'd go to class wouldn't talk to anybody eat lunch alone ride the bus home alone go into the gym alone come home and talk to sean my partner but like so much of my time was just isolated and disconnected from everybody and everything mm -hmm. and obviously my problems my eating disorder my other mental health issues they didn't just go away so all of this was happening and it all just got really bad and yeah. at this time, I had not told my, my family about it. I was still committed to not ever getting professional help and not ever talking to my family. I was committed to that. Like, yeah. the thought of that gave me intense anxiety. And I was just like, nope, not an option, which is fucking crazy. But the thing is, it was almost worse. Like, it was almost worse because of the mushrooms, yeah. <laughs> which is funny. I was literally thinking yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Because I had experienced myself exactly. as this like this thing worthy of so much love and it was so like amazing to connect with people on mushrooms and i felt so like surrounded by love and joy and happiness and it was and then to be so isolated again and like the contrast it just the, the higher the high the lower the low mm -hmm. <laughs> and at that point it was the darkest my life had ever been unfortunately mm -hmm. it gets darker <laughs> <laughs> 
I love laughing. Yeah. yeah it's, like, it's not that bad. It's like, it's not bad. Yeah. 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 And that continued. That continued. That continued. Mm-hmm. Winter, dark time. Very dark time. And so now approaching the actual the trip in February, on February 26th, that's where I was at. I was isolated, mm-hmm. unable to connect, unable to reach out for help, still committed to going through it alone. And I, I was also, yeah, a huge part of it was an, an identity crisis. Like, yeah. Especially being in a city like Montreal and like naturally coming into contact with so many more people, I was very insecure by how cool and unique everybody seemed to be, you know, mm-hmm. like it seemed like everybody who I came into contact with, like had their own identity. They were so like developed, they had their own thing, they had their own style and they were so, and it's such a, like a, um, a community oriented city. And it, it seemed like everyone was able to connect so well and easily, you know, like, and it was because of their differences that made them cool, you know, like, and that's exactly the thing that I've, I I like feared my whole life was like all the things that make me different and unique are the things that I have to fear and repress. Whereas being here, it's like all the things that make you different and unique are the things that make you really cool. And that's what people like you for. Yeah. And I had nothing to offer anybody. (laughs) And I just feel like I was so insecure because everyone was like, wow. And like, so eccentric and yeah able to connect and like wanted to talk and they were so interesting and interested in you and i'm like yeah nothing here nothing to see here (laughs) rural saskatchewan it's it's a very and i don't want to i don't want to speak poorly about any place but saskatchewan at least from my own experience was a very conformist place Mm -hmm. it's very like conservative Mm -hmm. um everybody kind of like tends to want to be the same you know what i mean whereas you come here and it's it's a much more liberal place yeah it's much more like you said just like people living their lives and like celebrating the differences between them and of course there are conservative elements of every place but it's much more liberal than what we grew up with yes 100 percent exactly so yeah that's where i was at that's it was bad, dark, shitty. What more can I say? <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And it was February. It was February break. And I was like, okay, I still had some mushrooms from the same batch that I did in the summertime the first time in my freezer. I had no idea how much they were, but I was like, we got to do this. We got to do this. We got to go there. But besides like the first amazing trips at the music festival, Oshiaga, there was one other trip where I saw the darker, maybe more intense side of mushrooms yeah, and felt the kind of intense catharsis from it. Mm-hmm. So I knew it wasn't all just like fun, beauty, joy, expand, expansiveness, you know? And I was kind of ready. I was like, okay, I'm going to do these mushrooms. And I think it can be very cathartic mm-hmm. or, you know, my, my intention was just to like, I need help yeah. and these can help me. So I was all alone and I did them. On February 26th. And the trip itself was mostly just that. It was just cathartic, like fetal position on the ground crying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know? And like, that was it. That was what I needed. Mm -hmm. There was love there. There was compassion there. There was connection for myself, with myself, you know? Like every, all the pain and all the sadness, all the confusion and doubt and uncertainty and ickiness, it all came up and it all came up fully and I just cried. You just let yourself feel it for the yeah, first time. Yeah, exactly. And 
there were no conclusions, you know, like there were no major realizations on the trip itself. It was just like, mm. it was just feeling it. It was just cathartic. It was just that. And I just like wandered around my apartment and like looked at my life and thought about my life and cried about my life. And that was it. And like moved through those negative feelings. And in the end, then in the end found a, a sense of peace after going through all like the, the, the grueling parts of it. Mm -hmm. And then just drawing, listening to music, feeling clear of mind finally, and just relaxing. And then, oh yeah. And also feeling strength. I mean, I think that's a, I think that's a huge part of going through painful experiences is that you feel strong after, even if, even if I didn't, even if I didn't know exactly what I had to do at that point, I felt like I understood myself better. I felt like I understood my situation better. And that gave me strength. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm going to be okay. Whatever yeah. I'm going to do, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to keep developing and it's going to be okay. Yeah. And then, so naturally after mushrooms, there's a lot of thought stimulation. And I did a lot of writing because I felt like I... I, I felt like I was coming from this place of peace and strength, like I said, and I was like, okay, I have a better understanding of my situation. I didn't have any conclusions yet, mm. but through writing, I got a lot more out of the trip, which is why journaling is such an important aspect after of making sense of the trip itself. Absolutely, yeah. So ultimately the realizations that I got from this were, as I've said, I was disconnected from who I was and did not have a developed identity because I had put all my attention and efforts into being something to men in a mm -hmm. romantic, sexual way. Yeah. That's where my value was. Um, I was isolated from women because I didn't value or invest in those relationships. And this is really big. I needed to reach out for help mm -hmm. for my eating disorder. And I needed to as difficult and challenging it is make those connections like be willing to have those hard conversations and be vulnerable with my friends but also get professional help because that's absolutely necessary i was <laughs> too yeah. far gone there, there's no problem that's too small to get help no dealing with exactly you're so right like i think most people should have like a therapist or someone that they can talk to about their issues whether or not it ever manifests as a full-blown disorder of some kind or if it's just like the human experience is emotional mm -hmm. and like to navigate that alone is impossible yeah and i know that now like nothing has to be done alone i think it's crazy like through reflecting on this and doing writing for this podcast i'm like i can't believe i ever thought that i could do anything alone <laughs> anything or that that's even desired like yeah why well, it's such like a, again, it's another of those cultural myths mm -hmm. of like individualism where it's like you want to be that rugged individualist who can just like rely on themselves and nobody else. And it's like mm -hmm. on a certain level, it's, it's true. It's kind of like a, it's another both end example where it's mm -hmm. like you want to be self-reliant and you want to be able to like, you want to be able to solve your own problems and be a very efficacious person for yourself. Mm -hmm. But part of like relying on yourself is relying on yourself to get help when you need it, mm -hmm. you know, and like blindly assuming this role of the rugged individual who needs help from no one is shooting yourself in the foot. Like, it's just stupid. It is. It is just stupid to do that. And it's mm -hmm. like, if you want to be someone who like provides for yourself and your loved ones in society at large, 
well, then you're going to need some help. And that's yeah. just, it's okay. It's yeah, okay. Yeah, it's more than okay. It's amazing. Like yeah. the, the stuff we can do with other people. Yeah. And I like mean, the connection we can make is amazing and beautiful. Other people can help you be more self-reliant. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not like, it's again, it's not one or the other. It's both yeah. and. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and also that I was ultimately disconnected from myself as a woman. Not even just like in relationship to other women, women, but my own femininity was so flawed in that like it, it was so unhealthy and toxic because it was like reduced to what it was for a man. So it was like none of it was my own. And I was not like getting any power from that, from myself as a sexual romantic being. Yeah. And like what other aspects of my femininity just weren't for men, you know, like mm. who was I as a woman? Yeah, you 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 were a hyper object. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I one hundred percent self objectified. Hmm. When you say you self objectified, hmm. can you go into that a little bit deeper? Like, there seems to be a level of self culpability there. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, one hundred. I mean, yeah. Like, I guess I take, I have to take some responsibility for it. But like, hmm. I can't. Hmm. I, I I don't see the value in putting it all on like. Oh, like I was, I internalized these things from culture and media and society. Like, I mean, we all got that message, but to some degree, like, I, I don't know. I, I reduced myself to an object, like a commodity for men to consume almost mm. and put all of my effort and attention into decorating myself and making myself more sexually attractive. So like in that way, I self-objectified because I didn't develop any other side of myself that couldn't be consumed as pleasure yeah by men yeah mm -hmm. yeah it, i think that's a really tricky one to work around because it's like after hearing that story it's like well no wonder you did that mm -hmm. it makes just makes no so much sense and mm -hmm. it's just like it and again I, I think this is a perfect example of the both and mm -hmm. of individualism and community kind of where it's like yes you were indoctrinated by these cultural myths mm -hmm. but at the same time to like recover is to really take full responsibility for who you want to be and taking yeah. those, you know? And it's like, you're not to blame for what happened, but now moving forward, you need to take responsibility yes, for exactly. who you want to be. Exactly. Yeah. Because, yeah, there, there's power in that responsibility. Like, if I can see my part in it, then I can change my part in it. Yeah. Then I can take control. I can mm -hmm. take back control and reclaim these parts of myself. Because you have power within you. You just need to tap into it. Yeah. And again, it's very difficult when you're constantly indoctrinated by all these messages around you, but like <laughs> you always have that ability to turn on yourself and say, there's something I can do here. Mm -hmm. And that's very difficult for it to do. And it took a mushroom trip for you to realize that. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, holy exactly. shit. And it, it like, that's the thing. It's like mushrooms take you like a fish out of water. So you can see, oh shit, I've been swimming in water this entire yeah. time. And like, we're so indoctrinated into these cultural myths that we don't realize that they're the water and we're the fish until we do mushrooms that we can see, mm -hmm. you know? Exactly. And there's so much you can get from that. And it's so valuable. But as we're talking about here, that's only the beginning and there's so much work yeah. to do and it's so hard. <laughs> it's so fucking hard. It is hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's worth it. I it mean, is. and I'm still doing it, it today. It's like, it's crazy. Cause like all of this I'm talking about, it's like, these are all things I'm talking about my past going through my history and stuff and this trip 
Uh, it's all still happening today. There's, mm. I'm still dealing with all these things. I've gotten a lot better at a lot of them, mm. but they're still, still happening. It's still so much work. But that's why I love it. It's yeah. amazing. What else would I do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. So after all the journaling and the kind of realizing of the, of where I was at, deepening my understanding, my ideas for integration were kind of like reclaim my femininity by connecting to the parts of myself I have rejected over the years, establishing my own identity through the same process of uncovering and rediscovering and developing more parts of myself beyond my physical appearance. So, you know, maybe spending less time at the gym, which was terrifying for me, mm. terrifying for me, you know, like when I thought about like loosening my grip on that relationship of like not i don't know i i, I own it it was terrifying you know it, it's like you rely on something so much and you're so com convinced that that's the thing you need to be doing all the time yeah it's like terrifying for too. sure i mean i'm i'm i've faced that too yeah 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 and you're like uh i'm going to like just disintegrate like i was convinced that my body would just become like this disgusting blob and that i would <laughs> never get any more love if i like yeah. decided to spend the night at home reading or something else and besides going to the gym all the time, you know, because that takes a lot of energy and it also, it's exhausting to be like sore and tired all the time. Yeah, for know? sure. Fuck. Yeah, so developing more parts of myself than my physical appearance. Uh, I needed to find some sort of community of women to connect with and be supported by. Mm, reach out to my friends and talk to them like form those connections from those emotional connections and invest in friendship. And part of it too was needing to distance myself from my romantic relationship hmm. because I, I was becoming so aware of how much I've, how much time I've spent in romantic relationship with a man and how much time and energy and attention that was getting and how much it was taking away from all these other relationships developing in my mm -hmm. life including my relationship with myself as an individual, not in relation to a romantic partner. Right. So, and obviously find a way to talk to a professional about my eating disorder. So that's where I was at. That was my idea. And that's what I was going forward into this world with. And I mean, wouldn't it be nice? If, <laughs> isn't it pretty to think so? Yeah. I love that. Um, it's, it's never as easy as we think it is. And becoming aware of things only the first step and it also takes a really long time to actualize these things and i think that's my my main message here is that integration takes a long time yeah change takes a long time when you think about evolution but like within our lifespan the development that we can make is it's a lot but but it's it's not good it's so absurdly non-linear you know like <laughs> yeah I, I when i think about when i when i look at this too like my my ideas for what i was going to do and and what i have done over the past year and a half it's like i mean i guess i did i've i have been integrating this trip in mm -hmm. in these ways too like in the ways that i originally thought but at the same time it hasn't gone at all smoothly and obviously, yeah, this was February and then COVID happened and then we were in lockdown in March. So like a few weeks after this trip. I mean, the time that you're like 
I need community. (laughs) (laughs) I need to connect. I need to make more female friends. I need to go find like, try, you know, try some new activities and like get out there. And also part of, part of the getting distance from my romantic partner and establishing an identity aside from my romantic partner, an idea, um, uh, a way that the two of us kind of decided we could do that was by opening our relationship, which is a huge endeavor and requires a lot of communication. I don't know. It requires a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could do a whole podcast on what that requires. But, for sure. Um, but we, we decided to go for it. We, we thought, you know, like we're in a place where we love each other, but we're both recognizing ways that we're maybe enabling each other to stay in a very comfortable spot. Mm. And we thought that we had good enough communication and good enough love and support that we could explore other potential, I don't even know if I would say romantic, but sexual encounters because like it wasn't really the idea of polyamory. It was just an open relationship. Um, We thought that we could handle that definitely. And I, I thought that that would be something good for me because I had never really been, I've never really spent much time being single. So and I, but I wasn't ready to, even after all these realizations of how much romantic relationship has dominated my life, I was still unable to grasp the idea of letting go of Sean. It just didn't seem like a good thing because I was like, well, I have this great partner who's like along for the ride with all this development. Like, yeah, why can't he come with me? Why can't I have it all, you know, my cake and eat it too. I can... I can develop my own identity. I can be independent in some ways and explore my sexuality in whatever way I choose to and still have my partner mm-hmm. that's committed and loving to me, you know, and he can do the same and we can communicate, you know, I had this beautiful ideal of what could be. And that this was one of the major changes over the past year was now we're into like the integration part and like, just like, basically the messy messiness of the last year yeah and how i guess that's the point though okay the point is is that all of the ways my life changed in the past year and a half were just messy (laughs) like i mean but how could it have happened any other way almost you know i was it's hard to integrate these things it's hard to make changes and like kind of going going at it alone and just trying to make sense of it as you go and you're just operating with the tools you have. It's like, it's not going to be clean, but you know, I, I think that something really shifted significantly from that mushroom trip that set me on a course that I was moving towards in very small subconscious ways at times. And you know, none of it happened like None of it happened cleanly mm-hmm. and it's still happening, but it all, it's, it, it's all happening. It is happening. I am moving towards change all the time. We're changing yeah. all the time and it's hard to realize that and to give ourselves credit for that. Because when I look at the past year and a half, most of it, I was just like, my life is a fucking mess. I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no control over things and no control over my mental health. Like, I mean, basically, yeah. So I I started talking about the open relationship and how that was like a nice ideal that we thought we could achieve or I thought I could achieve with my partner. And it didn't, it didn't happen that way. 
it got really messy. And I, you know, I ended up really hurting Sean, my partner at the time, because I wasn't in a place where I could be or should be in a relationship. And it took a very significant event in my life to make me realize that. Mm -hmm. And like this event was like in itself is like a mushroom trip worth of like (laughs) shit it dug up for me, you know? And we're not going to get into that here, but basically I, I realized that I, I I just didn't, I couldn't be in a relationship. Yeah. I had to be alone. Mm -hmm. And this trip, this one here in February, like I, I don't, you know, I couldn't have realized that at the time. Sometimes I look back and I'm like, I should have realized then and there that I just needed to be like, be on my own. But you, I couldn't have. There's nothing I could have done. I was just doing as best as I could. You can never look in the past and be like, I needed to know this then. It's yeah. just, if you, if you could have, you would have. Exactly. You can only do the best that you can at the time. And it's just like, once it's over, that's the best you could have done. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, exactly. And it's inf- uh, so unfortunate when people get hurt. Yeah. And like, it sucks. And there's like a lot of healing to be done for the, through that for everybody involved. But you know, like... Shit happens. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I reduce it to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but with that relationship ending and then obviously COVID happening and then like intense lockdown, curfew. I mean, I talked about it in picking up the paintbrush. Like that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that trip was happening amidst all of that isolation, depression, anxiety, insomnia, like this is what I was going through. And it, I, I never even, I don't even know. It's, it's so, I mean, it's interesting. Like you were saying earlier, interesting in a very dark way when you think about it, but like the shit that I felt, I couldn't have ever imagined it could get that bad. Yeah. And to think that I wasn't even that bad compared to some things that other people experience, you know, I'm like, the mind is fucking crazy and it can really just attack you and i mean yeah there's so many reasons for why we develop these very toxic modes of being Mm -hmm. like you you went into very brief detail i imagine about all the stuff that led to like the development of your eating disorder or the deceiving eating disorder and all of this stuff you developed to deal with very real problems in the sense that like, okay, you, you had decided my value or the the highest value that I can attain is romance. These are the things that I have to, no, like, like just male affection and male affection. Yeah. So even, (laughs) even worse than that, it's like male affection. These are the things that I have to do to secure that male affection. And other things of course that you mentioned led Mm. to the development of this eating disorder the very real problem was the fact that like you needed to get male affection and that's like a real survival situation Mm. or condition so to speak that like however much you can look back on and say oh that's like not real it was stupid it was culturally indoctrinated etc at the time it was a very real problem and you found a very you know you know, quote unquote, effective solution to that problem. Yeah. A lot of these mechanisms that we develop to solve these problems, however false the problem may actually be, they were there to help us at a certain time. But there comes a point 
obviously, where these solutions just are no longer beneficial to us, whether they're destructive or whether we realize that the the original problem was a false problem. But to be able to then like find new solutions is so difficult because so much of our identity over the course of how many years, like 10, 15 years since you started thinking this way, and now you have to reverse all that and relearn yourself and develop a new identity or like a truer, mm-hmm. more authentic identity. And it's just like, of course, you're going to fall back on these mechanisms that have helped you for so long mm-hmm. because like you're, 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 you're plunging yourself into chaos while at the same time trying to find, find new ways of dealing with that chaos yeah. and resist going to those old ways of dealing with that chaos. Yeah. It's hard as fuck. Like It's hard as fuck. Yeah. And so much came out of that too. I mean, like this whole breaking apart from my relationship, like first of all, trying to get independence and form my identity apart from him led to ultimately being completely separated from him, being out of the relationship, but then realizing how much emotional dependence I had on that relationship. Like it was Mm. multifaceted. It wasn't so easy to just break off from this thing that I had identified as like enabling me to be, to not develop, you know, to not develop my own identity, you know? And, but that, but, but being apart from that, it wasn't just easy solution. Like, Oh, okay. Now I'm just going to develop myself on my (laughs) own. Like, no way. It was like, I I realized I'm still realizing it's brought up so much more about how, how little I've developed in my life and like not how, how difficult it is to take care of myself and emotionally self-regulate and be independent. Like, what is that? And also, but being learning how to be interdependent too in healthy ways. And like what I was saying earlier, like learning to reach out to people and learning to connect and invest emotionally in other relationships in friendships, you know, Mm. and that's hard. It's been really hard, but I have been doing that, you know, even as slow and as uncomfortable and icky and back and forth and nonlinear as it has been. I mean, I opened up to my family about my eating disorders. Yeah. Once again, it wasn't clean. It was like <laughs> one conversation that was like, eh, I don't really feel like I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm really downplaying it. I feel like you don't really get it. And then having to go back again and be like, this is really a problem. And, you know, and same with reaching out and getting professional help. That's been mm. like, uh, is this the, is this the way? No, that's not the way. Mm, is this the way? I don't know. I feel uncomfortable. Resistance coming up. Like none of this has been clean. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> In my own experience of how I, how you kind of dealt with it with telling me about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I bring this up is because, so, okay, first of all, <laughs> in the way that like you approached me about it, I think we must have sat down for three or four times before you were even able to tell me about it. Really? You know what I mean? Like, I remember, I remember you saying like, oh, there's something we need to talk about. And we sit down and you kind of talk about it. It was kind of like you said, like you maybe touched on some problem, like depression or anxiety and then the next time it was like maybe a little bit deeper and then like it it took a few times right and it's like what i think is really profound in that is that you had made the decision to reach out to your friends Mm -hmm. and 
even though it didn't happen, it happened, like you said, in a very messy way, mm -hmm. you like stayed committed and you're like, mm -hmm. no, I need to do this. And even though we sat down, like I said, three to four times, you didn't give up. Mm -hmm. You were like, no, I need to say it. Yeah. You know? And so there's a yeah. lot of strength in that. Yeah. You know, a lot of people exactly. might do it the first time and be like, I just can't. And then yeah. give up. And it's like, yeah. no, no, no. Keep trying. Eventually yeah. it'll happen. Like if you're someone who struggled with an eating disorder, keep trying to reach out and eventually you'll be able to break through that shame. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like, uh, it's so funny because like our perception of what strength is, is like mm. being strong and just doing it and just getting out there. And like, you have the conversation, you sit down and it all flows so naturally. And like, no doubt during these periods of time, I was just suffering and being like, oh, I feel so weak. I feel so incapable of doing the things that I need to do. And I'm just, oh, I suck at everything. And I just mm -hmm. can't speak. I can't connect, you know, but I was doing it. I was doing it. Yeah. Like the same, same with all of my friends who I worked into that space with like Hashmita and Chris, same thing. Like, I don't know how many times I like uh, inched around the issue and I was just like, <laughs> Or like my family, you know, I just yeah. like, I can't, I can't, I can't. But now today where I'm at, mm -hmm. I can talk about it openly. You yeah. know, I can be like, this is something I'm struggling with right now. Yeah. You know, it can be more immediate and it's, uh, it's, it can, it, it can just happen naturally. Yeah. And that's so amazing. Yeah. It's so amazing. There's this, um, I just finished today, actually the uh -huh. book, uh, the realm of hungry ghosts. Yeah. And, uh, bye by uh, Gabor Mate. Uh -huh. And uh, it was an amazing book. Yeah. I mean, if, if for no other reason than to empathize with like the junkie, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's a lot of negative connotations to that. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a really good book. Anyways, that's besides the point. <laughs> the point that I was trying to make is that like he says, one of the biggest things that you can do for your addiction is to stop lying to people about your addiction. Yeah. To just be like, this is you know, like the thing that he did is he he compulsively bought music CDs mm -hmm. and like eight thousand dollars in a week. Yeah. What? Yeah. Gabor. Yep. What? Oh yeah. shit! That's crazy. Exactly. And so like he said, the biggest thing that helped him begin working on it, or a big thing, was that he started telling his wife every time he did it, and not yeah. trying to hide it from her, uh -huh. just being open and honest. And it's like you rob the thing of so much power when you just stop viewing it as something you need to hide. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's so true. And there's so much shame around it. And you're like, oh, everyone's going to think I'm so disgusting and it's so gross. And like, they're going to just be like, why? Why are you, why are you so fucked up? You know? Mm. But they're like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like everyone who I've opened up to is like, no one's ever done that. I don't, no. I mean, I don't know what they're thinking, but, <laughs> but they're it's just like, pretty oh, bad okay. what I was thinking, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's like we're your friends. We yeah, love you. Like exactly. we want the best for you. Exactly. And it's just like, okay, that's what you're going through. That's a a variation of the human experience. It's not uncommon either. And it totally makes sense with the world we live in, why this would be the case. And there's no shame around it. And honestly, I do I, I find so much comfort in being able to laugh about it too. Yeah. And make jokes and just be like, Yeah, I'm fucked up. Mm -hmm. It's comforting. It's okay because there's no shame in it. And like, yeah. I mean, it's it's especially interesting because I'm someone who studies psychology, obviously, and I'm I'm interested in the w ways people become fucked up. And you know, <laughs> I don't know if that's the correct term for it, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, like, and I advocate for releasing shame and stigma and stuff, and for everyone to just talk about things and you know be objective about the things that 
not be objective and like rob it of its emotional significance to you, but like get that distance so that we can deal with it, you know? Mm. But then wait, wait, no, you go. I was just going to say like uh, with about the, uh, whether like fucked up is the politically correct (laughs) or like the way you should say it. It's like, (laughs) I mean, in, in no way does this diminish anybody's suffering, but welcome to the club. Uh-huh. We're all fucked up. And, yeah. and the point is, that it's like, it's okay to be fucked up. We yeah. shouldn't be ash- so ashamed yeah. of being fucked up that we have to like come up with these nice ways of saying like, they are having difficulties or something. It's yeah. like, oh, I'm fucked up. Like, and that's you know, okay. Like, 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 like when people die and they're yeah. like, oh, like they've passed away. They're yeah. not with us anymore. They fucking died. Like, let's just <laughs> call it what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like we're, we're there's so many hard things about life, and sometimes sugarcoating it doesn't, or like dancing around it, or trying to make it like it doesn't make it easier. Mm-hmm. Like we just need to talk yeah. about it. It's fine. And it's like respecting people's boundaries is saying, okay, some people can't talk about it like that. Yes, of and course. It, it, of but course. at the same time, it's like as a society, we want to move people toward a a place of emotional resilience and strength. And part of emotional resilience and strength is being able to fully sink into these feelings of despair or shame or whatever it is and feel it fully, Mm -hmm. but then decide to do what is right, whatever that means. And that's, that's a very loaded statement, of course, but it's like, we're not helping anyone by like making a society in which we have to dance around these topics. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you are, anxious depressed have an eating disorder whatever your issue is if you've if you struggle with suicidal ideation porn addiction porn addiction yeah it's like it's okay yeah like you you shouldn't need to dance around these topics we we need to be able to be open about it and sugarcoating however kind it can be for some people who are having difficulty facing it yeah isn't the end goal it's a means to get them to a point where they can be open about it. Yeah. It's not the end goal in and of itself. Exactly. 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 So yeah, that's been a big, a big point of progress that I'm so proud of is just being able to talk about it, being able to have those, that level of connection and understanding and support from those around me. Mm. And like, I don't have to go through it alone. Isn't that crazy? Like, I can't believe I ever thought that. Yeah. I mean, fucking believe it. it, It's, I mean, I can, but what the fuck? It's just, it's so obvious. And it's so like, it's one of those things where it's so obvious, but you just can't help but like have your mind blown by where it's just like, oh shit. Yeah. I don't have to be alone. It's like, if anybody listening to this has experienced that before, you know, it's just like, oh yeah, shit. (laughs) Like, right. Yeah. I have people around me who love me, Yeah, you know, and it's a privilege to have that. Of course. It really is. Yeah. It really is. Okay, so yeah, like, that's two things. That's, um, okay, so like, the relationship, shattering, <laughs> shattering, but like, you know, like, <laughs> finally being in a relationship in time yeah. to like, I mean, it hasn't been, I don't know, there's, none of this has been easy, but yes, or clean, but yes, like, finally, I am, I am single, living apart from my ex, and I have been developing my my identity over the past year. Like, I don't think I'm anywhere. This thing, all of these things, I'm nowhere near done. There's still a lot of work to do, but I'm just like, I, that's the point of this podcast is to, to recognize the progress made the integration that has been happening over such a long period of time. Mm. And it's still happening, but it's like, 
I've been doing it, you know? And like, even this podcast is a huge thing is like recognizing this passion that I have and like having this outlet for speaking. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine doing this. Like, holy shit. I couldn't even speak about anything yeah. or connect to other people. There was just like, it felt like there was such a wall up most of the time. And now I'm just talking and I don't even know how many people listen to our podcast, but yeah. like people hear it. Yeah. I'm like, even if no one hears it, I'm saying it like it's happening. Yeah. And, and that's crazy. Resistance to it, but you're still oh, doing yeah. it. Oh yeah. We're here. Cause we're it's never going to be easy. It's never going to be easy. But you but can still do it. We can do it. We can do it. And, um, and, um, yeah, healing, healing my relationship with my femininity has been like a big part of this past year and a half too. And, Honestly, that, that, that's like one of the, one of the good things that came out of COVID, especially initially when like, when it was, when it hadn't been already a year in lockdown, when it was like the first couple months and I'm lucky enough to not have a family to support or like, or so many other things, like I could afford to be off work and Mm -hmm. all these things. So I was just home. I had a lot of time on my hands. There's just a lot of time to explore different parts of myself and like mm-hmm. kind of I, I I found some significant outlets for like things that weren't feminine parts of myself that I didn't really value beforehand so much or like and because that didn't develop like even just like a spiritual practice that wasn't in some way materialist, mm-hmm. you know, like I think I really re- resisted parts of myself that. I used to be connected to like like I grew up Catholic like light Catholic like it wasn't very like intense or anything but like I went to Catholic school I went to church with my school like I prayed etc and I remember when I was very young I had a very close relationship with God like praying at night looking at the stars every night and obviously I grew up and I resisted that and I decided that I didn't like religion but I think I mean I just, I just didn't, didn't value parts of my femininity, like that were more intuitive and like not physical in their understanding, like stage green stuff, basically like spirituality beyond like at that time, I guess I was like, okay, if I meditate and just like control my thoughts, like that's the way not like have a relationship with something like in like the universe, like an entity beyond it was like the physical world you know spirituality to be more productive or something like i I meditate 20 minutes a day so i can earn more money kind of thing i mean yeah not 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 necessarily that that, but like (laughs) but yeah like it just it was missing something i I definitely had fallen out of relationship with Mm -hmm. spirituality and like imagination and creativity and self-expression completely you know like i just really didn't develop those sides of myself like i've said and like didn't value those parts of myself and you know finding finding ways to express myself artistically even if it was like uncomfortable at first and weird and i was like i don't even know why i'm doing this or what it's for but like just like starting an alternative instagram for like like uh sensual pictures of fruit and i I don't know you know like i don't know i i started I, i started doing that and I was like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Yeah. But I just wanted to, you know, Mm. like, why the fuck not? Why shouldn't I? Like, why do I have to know? Why does everything have to have this, some clear outcome and like reason? 
You know, why does anything have to have a reason? You just wanted to take some pictures and post them. I just wanted to express this part of myself. Like I've always liked taking photos and thinking about aesthetic and how things fit together Mm -hmm. and look together and create like a vision kind of like that, you know, and following through on that impulse was a big step creating it. I'm not going to say it because it's a secret. No one gets to know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's privilege information. It's it the is. inner circle. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, if you get invited, you know it's you're good. You're yeah. in. You're in. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, and just like have a relationship to the moon and like oh, yeah? cycles. Nice. Like I never thought about that before, and then I was like, this is a part of me as a woman. Like I'm like I I don't know. Honestly, this is a conversation. I think we could have a whole podcast about this, about yeah, just yeah. like my relationship to my own femininity, but just like trying to fit myself into like a, like a the patriarchal world mm. and just like I have to be consistently productive and like consistent every single day. Like I have to show up and be the same person every day and mm. do the same schedule and do all this stuff. And I'm like, I just don't fit into that way. Like I'm a cyclical being. I go through all these phases every month of my cycle i'm like i'm not and i I wasn't connected to that at all you know i I think that Mm. was a really huge part for me is i was just like the changes the ebbs and flows of like how i'm feeling how i'm like the level of like rest and stuff i need and like different times of i don't know i still don't really understand it and like well it was a huge part of like being on birth control too and not even being connected to my own cycle just like fixing it into this like this artificial thing Mm -hmm. And letting it um, influence my body, yeah, my hormones, my very being. Yeah. Well, um, if if I may kind of mm-hmm. analyze that, it, it sounds like like getting off birth control mm-hmm. was getting you re- more in touch with your body mm-hmm. and your who you were as like a female, as like your yeah. femininity, and then the kind of like the moon cycles is clearly like the menstrual cycle, obviously, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. as you said. And but it's like that. That's that like that association mm-hmm. is obviously what's the word I'm looking for is illusory. Like there's no connection between the, the menstrual cycle and the moon. As far as I understand it, like I, I've, I remember reading somewhere maybe that it had nothing to do with it. People thought it did, but it really doesn't. But mm-hmm. the point that I'm trying to make though, is that it's a very stage purple, uh, magical understanding of reality to try to connect your natural cycles with the cycles of a moon, mm-hmm. right? It's like you, you're, it, it makes sense, but it's yeah. like, it is illusory, right? Yeah. But I think it's still very powerful mm-hmm. because you're connecting yourself with something larger than yourself yeah. and really honoring an aspect of nature that is not only like the cycles of the moon, but the cycles of you as like a part of nature as a, yeah. as a natural being. Yeah. And that's like a very spiritual connection. It feels yeah. like it's an attempt to connect your femininity with something outside that's bigger than yourself mm-hmm. and to really like fully accept it and to find the awe and wonder in it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's not even like the moon and my, my menstrual cycle were the same. Like that, that wasn't even the connection I was like thinking oh, okay. to make. It was just like, <laughs> and, yeah, oh, yeah, it was just mind. like, like to be cyclical in nature, you know, like nature is cyclical. Mm-hmm. The moon is. The seasons are. I am okay, okay, in my own feminine way. Yeah, yeah. Like biological rhythms, my circadian rhythm, everything. Like I, I find that stuff absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's a very intuitive nature to all of that. And it's kind of like, yeah. like I mean, we're called wild entheology. That that's a significant part for me. Is like 
the wild within us, like the natural within us, mm. the intuit intuitive within us. And I find that's a very feminine thing. Yeah. And, um, uh, honestly, like, uh, that's uh, like a, a problem I've identified with. Like the world we live in is like, everything is like fixed mm. to be something to like be functional, to get a specific result. Yeah. And it's all like manipulated to keep it within this way. And it, it's kind of rigid in that it doesn't allow for intuition. Right. A lot of the time we rely on knowing, quantifying, predicting, you know, Mm-hmm. And it, that takes us away from our intuitive nature and that takes away from like, even just like think of a biological rhythm, like sleeping, mm-hmm. we we're not connected to our, our, our natural circadian rhythm anymore because we have light. So we can stay up as long as we want, you know, it's daytime when we want it to be daytime. Yeah. Yeah. That's just yeah. an example. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like, I guess if I'm understanding properly, then it's just like reconnecting with those natural cycles Yeah, and like, just connecting with nature again it's that yeah. spiritual aspect of nature of connecting yeah. with something bigger than yourself yeah exactly you and that's know? something i love about psychedelics too and that's like connecting me to something bigger than myself like you yeah. said yeah and something that's not so rooted in in just like objective reality as we agree yeah. to it well again know? that's the very like stage orange materialistic mechanistic paradigm where yeah. everything is like like even like this gets into very deep philosophy that I don't know enough to really be talking about, but I want to learn more is like the difference between process philosophy. And I guess like, again, don't know enough about it, but like being where like you talk about like things like a separate thing, but then process philosophy is about the fact that like everything is just a process of becoming. And so it's like, being so focused on this materialistic functional thing of how like the different parts of the mechanism fit into this machine or being more focused on like the process and the cycles and like the becoming of nature mm-hmm. it seems to be you're more in like going toward that yeah right and so it's like you have these two like i guess almost opposing philosophies mm-hmm. and one it seems like is influencing toxic beliefs at least for you but you're more going toward this one other philosophy that's like seems so much more beneficial for you or you're able to connect with something larger than yourself so much more with that yeah 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 exactly you can take that out because that really made a lot of sense it it really made a lot of sense yeah yeah i wasn't even planning on getting into a lot of this but it is it's really significant and like honestly in the past year and a bit like psychedelics have kind of been like this thing for me that have opened me up and like Obviously, a lot of conversation around psychedelics So, like, obviously the question, is it real? Or, like, what can we take from that? And a lot of the things that people maybe don't put as much value on mm-hmm. with psychedelics and, like, how they're becoming mainstream and medicalized is through emphasis on the effects it has on mental health and the, like, objective yeah. um, kind of, like, benefits of it. But I, what I, the, what I don't like about that is that it, it takes away like, just like the weirdness of it and just like <laughs> the, you know, and the beauty, the aesthetic yeah. beauty of a trip too. And yeah. like, you know, people don't put as much emphasis on that. And just like the, oh, like, what does your imagination do on acid? What is your, what is your brain cooking up? Like, what are the colors, the visualizations, like the mm-hmm. things that people are like downplays, like, oh, that's just like pretty colors. Like, what did you, what did you learn though? Like, what did... <laughs> what is, how are you, how is your life developing yeah, how yeah. is this like definitely throwing shade my way no. <laughs> i've been yeah. like but in general like that's like the whole for sure like, yeah. because and they're trying to like squeeze it into this paradigm that already exists which is like okay how can this be 
a function in society. Mm. But like through squeezing, you lose some of that, like the pretty colors and the weirdness and the imagination and just like the freedom and the wild nature of it yeah. that just connects you to something that's totally beyond our reality and that mm-hmm. doesn't have a place in our staged orange green re- like society yeah you know? i mean our society is extremely cognitive yeah and exactly. it's extremely like focused on solving problems so it's making like like you said like the the medicalization of psychedelics is like okay we're using these psychedelics to solve problems mm-hmm. uh, of people and like fixing the broken people essentially yeah, yeah. And we're losing this message of something, like you said, of something beautiful, of something awe-inspiring, where it's just like you're doing these to like reconnect with something larger than yourself, which is, I mean, when we talk about mental health, doing that is very profoundly beneficial for mental health, you know, but it's just like, you're not doing it for the mental health benefits. You're doing it just to have that experience. Just to have that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Just to like open up your imagination. I mean... Over the past year too, like one of the, I, one of the big acid trips I had was just like fucking crazy weirdness. Mm-hmm. Like, and it almost had no resemblance to anything in my life. It was so odd. Yeah. And, but it was, it, it was just showing me a part of me for the sake of it being like, like a part of me, you yeah. know, like it wasn't like anything, it wasn't associated with anything that was broken that needed to be fixed. It was just like, this is a part of your mind. Yeah. How interesting, how fun. This like was it was the, just uh, fun. The rooms one? The acid whore room one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where the acid whore was born in the yeah, divine yeah. garden. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It inspired a whole it. fantasy. There was a whole yeah. musical. I made a musical. Oh really? Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. It was like. I didn't know about this. Yes. And the gods were real fucking things. Yeah. <laughs> you should write a musical about I it. Should. <laughs> See? And like what does that have to do with? Yeah, yeah. That's just, just to, fun. Just to do it, yeah. It's just fun. It's yeah. just life. It's just you are so much more than your productivity mm-hmm. and your role in the society that we've built. Like Yeah. You're just a crazy, wild, imaginative, conscious existence. And there's so much and it's to explore. so it's so hard to do that because like our survival, like being able to make money is so contingent on work uh-huh. that it's like we have entire religions and, and sects of religions that like glorify the ability to work and put in labor uh, as some sort of like great moral project. Mm-hmm. Rather than like highlighting the fact that we're just conscious beings, that we're creative and artistic and we can just like enjoy life. Yeah. But again we need to work to survive so we can afford food. And so it's like, we need to be more productive so I can make more money so that I can enjoy life. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's like, I've struggled a lot with that. Like I went into a degree that I hated. I knew what I hate. I wasted a bunch of money on it Mm -hmm. only to decide I didn't want to go do that and go into psychology. Instead, something that I love and I love psychology so much, Mm -hmm. but I still have that, like, how can I be more productive so I can make more money so Mm -hmm. I can enjoy life more? You know what I mean? It's like, it's it's a it's the rat race yeah it's the rat race and like yeah we are moving closer and closer to a society in which we could have a removal of the rat race altogether we're also moving toward where we could have a dystopia but it's like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we're moving closer to that and it's like i think psychedelics are going to be a huge part of teaching people to just enjoy like you said like once people have that experience where they can just enjoy something for the sake of enjoying it on a psychedelic yeah it's going to open up people to like moving toward that kind of society. Yeah. You know, for sure. And it's amazing that with psychedelics, there is so much healing to be done. Like, like I've, I've said mushrooms have been a huge part in my, my 
my healing of all of this understanding of my past and how problems yeah. developed and going forward and pushing into those uncomfortable places and getting help, you know, like 100% psychedelics have played a huge role in that. But sometimes when I do psychedelics, I just want to have a good time. Yeah. I just want to dance. I just want to get really fucking weird. <laughs> like last week I was camping and I was on acid. And at one point I was just like talking to a fire and yeah. I was like, narrating a story i was whispering and like videotaping <laughs> as i made like and that i love that yeah like yeah. that's what i love about psychedelics i love the creativity yeah. the expansive open mind like full of possibility full of wonder and awe yeah. and just everything it's everything it's everything beyond mm -hmm. like if you have any limit of your idea of what life can be it can just exceed all of that yeah. you know and that's the beauty of it and it, it, it often takes uh, something as powerful as a psychedelic to like remove you from the waters you've been swimming in that you don't yeah, realize you've been swimming in. Exactly. Just to see, oh, there's another pond right over here. Yeah. And the leap isn't that as big as I could have ever imagined. Yeah. It's like, it's not an easy leap, uh -huh. still a leap, but it's possible. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Yeah. I fucking love it. Um, Okay, but <laughs> a little bit of a tangent, but that's no, that's really important. And then, okay, I loved all that, yeah, yeah, wow. I, I mean, I'm just, I'm just happy, mm -hmm. I'm just happy that I'm looking back and realizing these things and giving myself credit for all the ways that I have been progressing, even mm. when. Even through the times when I felt like I wasn't progressing, I was progressing. And I think that's a huge part of it is just like trusting the process and keeping going even when it feels like, I mean, there are times when I'm like, I felt completely stagnated in my growth, progress, whatever. And there are times where I felt like I was actually going backwards yeah, <laughs> and I wasn't doing anything right, you know, or getting worse, but it was all happening. Things happen over a long fucking period of time and it's still happening it's still yeah. happening but it's good it's you good trusted the process i told you all the time like it <laughs> gets better it gets better and then you know things started opening up you were able to like go out more meet people and you, you found yeah. an amazing community well, of women that's at your the work, thing that's the thing know? that's the next thing yeah that's the next thing so like where i'm at now like in the past couple months there has been like a significant shift where i feel like I more often feel good than bad, yeah, which is great. Like, cause life isn't perfect and there's still a lot of shit and a lot of hard times, but like I've been consistently good and happy yeah. and there've been, I, I, yeah, this is, this is super profound and significant in my life. And I, it almost feels like embarrassing to say, cause it <laughs> just feels like, oh, like, yeah, people, everyone has friends. Right. Yeah. But like for me, I don't and like that like that's what i'm saying here and like going through all that that background was that like i really didn't know how to connect with other people mm -hmm. on a friendship level especially women and in the past couple of months i've developed really beautiful relationships with multiple women in my life that mm. i'm lucky to have met through a shared workplace but it's just like it's crazy like i almost can't believe it how lucky i feel to have met these girls and how just how naturally we've been able to connect and form like significant relationships it's not like we just like hang out spend time together like i feel emotionally connected to them i feel like they know me 
so much more at this stage in the relationship than anyone ever has, you know, like I've never been able to so easily express myself and share myself. And like, that's, that's why I've been able to, to form these relationships is because like I'm at a place where I can share myself, Mm -hmm. I can open up about myself and I can express myself. And it's been such a amazing experience of, of being known by other people. And it seems like such a silly thing, like, or a simple thing of just like, oh yeah, people know who you are. They know things about you and they accept you and they celebrate that. And, but it's just like, what? I, I can't believe it sometimes. Like the, uh, the ways they know me, the things they see in me, the ways they love me. And I, them, like, I feel so honored to be their friends and for them to the way the ways they've felt like they could open up to me and the ways I've been able to share my love for them you Mm -hmm. know I really do believe that we know ourselves through relationship with other people yeah you know like no person is an island and um looking back on all all of this history of mine like the limited way that I knew myself was because I was limiting myself to one type of relationship. So I only knew myself as that role. Yeah. You know, and through, through developing relationships with other women, I I feel like I have a, such a deeper understanding of my own experience through their experience. And together we help understand reality and our our emotions and our experiences and also our inner worlds too and i think that's Mm -hmm. really beautiful it's like kind of like the same thing about what i appreciate about psychedelics being like these weird crazy things it's like something i've learned to appreciate about my femininity is like this weird crazy world that i can build in my mind and like the fantasies that i have and you know like i've often questioned like where what is the place for that in society or like you know what what worth is that what function is that and it's like to be able to to connect with other women and for them to like talk about their fantasies and their inner worlds and the things they think and just to like it's just so wonderful and exciting to like hear about the ways other people other girls think Mm. and like i'm not the only one that's weird and in my head about this and like this isn't something that i need to not do either you know it's like I mean, wow. And it's, and through sharing that, we understand each other so much deeper and we love each other and we're able to love each other so much more and help each other too. (laughs) Yeah. Again, it's that social support Mm -hmm. that is associated with a a decreased likelihood of eating disorders. It's like being able to surround yourself with new people who think different things or have commonalities as well. And like, yeah there's you know there's the there's the the phrase like you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with right and it's like if you're spending your time with nobody it's like who are you you know what i mean it's like you're you're almost this like undefined person Whereas when you're like dealing with other people and seeing yourself in action and learning about the ways that they think and the ways that they do things and their childhood or whatever it is, it's like you're becoming a more rich person yourself. Yeah. You're becoming a so much more defined person. And it's like 
it's always from that place of like sharing your own authenticity and creating a space for other people to share their authenticity. Yeah. And it's like, that's how you really become a rich person. It's not surrounding yourself with no one. Number one, it's not surrounding yourself with people who, um, you've crafted yourself to appeal to, or yeah. who have crafted themselves to appeal to you. It's surrounding yourself with authentic people who are, going to honor your authenticity as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, that's the kind of people you want to surround yourself with. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm so inspired by them. It's beautiful. I'm really, really happy for you. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's amazing. And mm. sometimes I almost can't believe it. Like how good life is right now. Yeah. I mean, you, you said <laughs> earlier, like, how you're, you're more, you feel more, you, you more often feel good than bad now. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of thinking like for myself, like I do remember that time where like that shift happened and I didn't notice it until months after or mm -hmm. even longer after where I was like, I feel very good most of the time. And I was just like, yeah. wow, my mental health is really, really good. And it's been this way for a while now, Yeah, you know, but it's like when you're in those really dark places for so long, it's just life it's just the yeah. waters you've been swimming in yeah you know exactly but i i do like i credit so much to these relationships i've formed because yeah. it's just like it's just completely changed my experience because mm -hmm. i have all these other perspectives and experiences mm -hmm. that take me out of my own and i think that's really significant because I, i've in the past year i've spent so much time in isolation and in my head and life has been so slow and monotonous and it's just like every day is trying it's like an always an uphill battle you know fighting my my own mind basically mm -hmm. and looking for any kind of peace or just relaxation and like or just escape sometimes sometimes you just don't want to be in your own mind and like but to find healthy ways to do that, to balance it and stuff. And yeah. um, I'm just so energized by other people right now. And mm. I think it, it's really interesting because I think most of my life I've considered myself an introvert. And I, and I don't necessarily think that's wrong, but I, I think these labels can be limiting too. And like, mm. oh, like I'm an introvert. And like, so I don't like spending time with people. Obviously that's not it. But like I spend like a, a, in the past couple of months, especially since summer started, like I spend a lot of my time with other people. And I think I've realized that that is the healthiest thing for me is yeah. to be around people most of the time. Mm -hmm. And I feel better when I'm close to people and sharing experiences with them, even if they're like mundane things, just like, like yesterday I did co-working with one of my friends. Like we just, I, I worked alongside her. Yeah. We weren't even talking most of the time. But just to share a room with somebody or to ha share meals with people too. I mean, obviously I've talked about eating is a really hard thing for me. And it's just like a beautiful thing to be able to share in the, in the eating of a meal with another person mm -hmm. and to make it kind of like a, a community gathering and having sleepovers. I love sleeping next to my <laughs> friends. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. It makes me feel so good and so close to people. And I'm just like... I. Now that I'm learning how to be around people because I've mm. found confidence in myself, because I've like spent time forming my own identity and feeling more confident in who I am and being able to share that and express that with other people and have them do the same to me, being around people isn't this exhausting thing that I have to put so much effort in and I need to like recover from. It's like, it just happens so naturally 
that it now is an energizing thing for me. And it actually mm. is like the most comforting in a really healthy way. Well, there's this thing, there's this like concept that I've learned called persona fatigue, mm-hmm. where like you are, you're more likely to be fatigued after a, uh, social interaction if you're constantly trying to like put on this false front Mm -hmm. and it's when you're able to sink into your authenticity where like it becomes an energizing experience Mm -hmm. you know and it's like i think that there's there's truth to the extroversion introversion thing Mm -hmm. but i feel like a lot of the things that we conflate with introversion like you know if you're introverted social interactions rob energy from you or like you don't like to be with around other people or these kind of like more negative things it's like i feel a lot of that is just people don't know how to be authentic around other people Mm -hmm. whereas there's something about extroverts that like give them the give them the energy or the ability or whatever it is to be more authentic and so they can learn those skills they need to do that in the future yeah and that's not to say that no extroverted person never deals with like false persona or authenticity issues of course but i feel like introversion there's it's a lot easier to fall into a lot of that stuff oh yeah totally we've definitely talked about that too like just having social anxiety it's Mm. like if you have social anxiety and like where is that coming from yeah it's like coming from like oh i don't know how to like be around these people i don't know how to be authentic i don't know i'm worried how they'll like me and how they'll perceive me and stuff and you're like you're you're having a physiological response to that it's like yeah. stressful. Obviously, it's gonna be fucking exhausting to be around people, you know. <laughs> of course. Like you're gonna need to go home and like rest after that. Yeah. Well, I remember like me like uh, the stage purple trip. We kind of get into this where it's like mm-hmm. like the integration episode for stage purple where yeah, just constantly being terrified of being around people and always mm-hmm. feeling like there's this gap between us that I'm like yeah. I'm trying to like get into the tribe and like yeah. convince people that no, I'm I'm part of the tribe. I'm I'm one of you, right? And yeah. it's like the the mistake is assuming that I'm not already. Yeah. That's the issue. Exactly. It's like no, there's no distance between us. You exactly. are we're we're all share our common humanity, yeah. right? Um but yeah. it's just like one little, like one little belief change is all mm-hmm. it took for that, yeah. you know? And, and often I feel like that's the biggest thing separating people from getting the help they need is just a single belief change mm-hmm. can make all the difference. Yes. Yeah. 100%. I was just going to ask that. So having recently come to this place of like flourishing of like more good than bad, mm-hmm. it's a very recent development for you. So like, for those people who are still struggling with that, whether they have an eating disorder or any other mental health issue, it's like, what, do, what kind of piece of advice would you give people who are dealing with that? <laughs> that's what I have to say. <laughs> oh, really? No. I'm oh, just okay, kidding. okay, okay. I see, I see. I thought you meant like, that's what you were about to say, not like, that's all you have to say to that? No. Um, keep going. Keep going, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like I'm, I don't know. I don't know. Get help. That's it. Yeah. Probably get help sooner than later. Don't do it alone. Yeah. Don't, don't do it alone. Do it alone. That yeah. is it. That is 100% it. Like, please just don't do it alone. You don't have to, mm-hmm. you shouldn't, you actually shouldn't do it alone. Like it, everything, there are so many people that can support you and help you and it's going to make it it's just going to be so much better for that. Yeah. You know, like it's still going to be difficult. It's still going to be so, so hard, but like it's, it's infinitely better to have somebody there for you, even just to receive you yeah. in your pain. Like 
and now that I have my family, now that my family knows what I'm going through, mm-hmm. like there were really awful times in the winter where I was anxious, where I was struggling with so many things and I was able to call them and to cry. Yeah. To break down and cry and like just be like, I feel so out of control. I'm doing these things and I don't know how to stop and I'm really struggling. And they're not professionals. They don't like, you know, but they were just like, they heard me yeah, and they cared about me and they loved me. And they were like, it's going to be okay. Even if that's the only thing that they could tell me, mm-hmm. it was, it made the world of a difference just to know that I wasn't alone. And yeah, I mean, the more support you have, the better, like yeah. reach out to your friends and professional help is so valuable. Yeah. It's so valuable. If you can do that, 100% do yeah. it. And that just speaks to the fact that we need more access for people. Yeah. You know, 100%. um, and I think that's that's one of the biggest things that our society is going to start moving toward. If mm-hmm. we want to, like I mentioned earlier, move toward that that society of increasing prosperity is having more access to mental health. Like, again, talking about those stage orange factors of success, it's like how much money are we losing? How much like is the economy being affected by the fact that we don't have access to mental health? And so even from that like selfish capitalistic perspective, it is still beneficial to have mental health access. Yeah. And then all the other reasons that are far more important than that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's beneficial. It really know? is. Yes, exactly. Mm. But yeah, I think, I think if there's a takeaway from any of this too, especially in like the context of using psychedelics for growth and stuff is that like integration happens over a very long period of time and there's no like there's no time limit or there's no like easy way to make changes in your life and it's gonna be messy and hard but like Mm -hmm. you're doing it you're doing it even in little unconscious ways even if it feels icky and whack and gross for long periods of times like growth pains and it's a whole thing it's a long process but Mm -hmm. it's you're doing it just keep going yeah <laughs> that's it as simple as that it's simple as that and like all yeah. of this all of this progress i made like it's all great but i'm still in it i'm still going through it i'm not done for sure i'll never be done no i don't want to be i don't i don't want to be done <laughs> yeah it's like it's fun almost like it's <laughs> you're never going to be perfect number one no. so it's just impossible exactly but that's not a negative thing no like I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of perfectionists who are like i'll never be perfect oh no but like uh-huh. it's a good thing that means like there's always higher heights to achieve it's like if you if you think that perfection is, is some sort of ideal well that means that there's a cap mm-hmm. there's no cap it can mm-hmm. get better and better and better always and it's yeah. like so much more fulfilling so much more fun so much more rewarding it's just like it's amazing and yeah. it's a privilege to be able to do that exactly you know yes yeah yes so wow I'm very, very happy to have shared this on this podcast. I'm really proud of myself and I just, yeah, I'm really grateful also, Will, for you. Thank you. And for our relationship and for this platform. Mm, I'm happy to be here. Me too. Yeah. Okay. Thank you everyone for listening and have a good day. Have a good day. (laughs) 